here's this guy. He's super rational. In the traditional economic sense. And by that I mean all his decisions are based on personal utility. What benefits him the most. He never has to go on a diet because he always eats just what he needs to. He never gets a hangover because he knows his limits and he sticks by them. He would never be a suicide bomber. Does he see the limits in personal utility and blowing himself up? But there's bad things about him, too. He'll race old people or a disabled person for a seat on the subway. He cleans out the give a penny, take a penny trays whenever he can. He's not a very loyal friend or partner. He's always looking for a little better deal. But he's got a very good uh, retirement account. He really doesn't hate anybody. Because he knows the limited utility in that. Although, I could see him. It is possible that he would act as if he hated something or would encourage others' hate of something if it would work to his benefit to do so. And this guy's name is Homo Economicus. Economicus is the imaginary person, an economist, many economists, not all, imagine when they try to predict the behaviors of investors, consumers, and other actors in the marketplace. Only a small percentage of people that are actually like this, it may explain why so many economic forecasts turn out to be inaccurate. There's a guy named Richard Thaler who recently won a Nobel Prize. He's trying to straighten this problem out. Thaler's been working on trying to figure out how to incorporate humans' irrational behaviors and decision-making into a realistic representation of how the economic markets truly work. Human beings are not rational beings. There's been many times that the market has gone up based on nothing more than irrational exuberance about one thing or another. As we're seeing, it's been quite a run in the market as people get excited about possible tax cuts. It doesn't really represent any inherent fundamental improvement in the economy. It's just people are feeling better and it can go the other way as well. I've heard it said that that was part of Jimmy Carter's problem was he wasn't optimistic enough. He was too honest. 
problem that I've dealt with myself a few times. Now, going back to irrationality, talking about this reminded me of a story I had heard quite some time ago when uh, Rolls-Royce was talking about lowering their prices and people did not want them to do it. Should specify, some people didn't want them to do it. Because it was more important for them to have a car that was more expensive than everybody else's and significantly more expensive than it was to save money. We all know that people are motivated by more than just profit. That's something we all can be thankful for. And the main reason why there was a homo economicus, I had the guy's name somewhere, but I don't know where it is at the moment. The guy that came up with the idea that, you know, self-interest, maximizing utility, and using it as uh, economic principle was a guy named Francis Edgeworth. I got this from an uh, article by Nate Kratzer title Rational Fools, Amartya Sen's Critique of Economic Theory. This is from 2014. I got it on the internet. But he, he being Francis Edgeworth, he even admitted that he kind of came up with that thinking because it was just simple. If you had to factor in all the ambivalence and the different motivations that people have, they wouldn't have their simple mathematical equations. But what good is having simple mathematical equations if they don't represent anything accurately? That's a whole other discussion. But as, as most anybody that's paid attention to financial uh, gurus and advisors and analysts and stuff, they're wrong a, a lot of the time. It's very safe to say that financial forecasts are nowhere near as accurate as the worst weather forecasters, the worst professional weather forecasters. You can't count your uncle about talking about the creek in his back. The thing is, it seems like when they're wrong, people don't remember their name. But when they're right, they get hailed as the next, you know, avatar or genius or, you know, wizard of the Wall Street. Remember, I'm old enough to remember when what was going on in Japan was described as, you know, the Japanese miracle, how their market went up. Then, of course, it crashed because it was a bubble, probably due to irrational exuberance and people going beyond their rational thinking and getting caught up in the moment, the emotional moment. Richard Taylor, just as a habit, would keep records of people that he considered rational or people that would consider themselves rational and their irrational decision-making. He had this one about a guy who would never pay more than $30 for a bottle of wine, but some of his bottles went up to 100 in value to $100, and he would drink those on special occasions although he would never pay $100 for a bottle of wine, but in reality, he was giving up $100 to drink that bottle of wine, so he was essentially paying $100 for the bottle of wine. Taylor also uh, likes to bring up the concept of house money, and that's a phenomenon that when in gambling establishments, people have more money than they came in with they don't consider it their money they consider it house money and they're more likely to 
take a chance. They're losing it because it doesn't really feel like it's theirs, although it really is. A couple other examples that Taylor likes to use is where people will not spend extra for an umbrella, even though it's raining. Or the fact that a, a lot of times when gas prices go down, people will spend the extra the money that they saved on premium gasoline, even though, unless your car is designed for the premium, you get no benefit from it. Taylor took a real risk in his career by rejecting the conventional thinking, the homo-economical rationalism that was the accepted dogma. But he wasn't alone. We found out that there was a whole movement, Daniel Kahneman, and I forget what the other guy's name is right now, Tversky, Tversky? Amos Tversky. They were doing similar work, and it was development of behavioral economics. About some interesting points that people aren't always self-interested, nor are their preferences always consistent. You might want one thing when you go to the store one time or to the restaurant or the bar. You may want one thing. You may be looking for a deal. Another time you might go and you're not sure what you want. Another time you'll go with a specific thing in mind and as long as it's within a very general price range you'll go for it. Another time, depending on your situation, it might even be the amount of money you have in your wallet. You might be looking for the lowest price exclusively. And it does seem the way that we're marketed to in, in America, modern America, with our Walmarts and our Amazons, low price seems to be the only thing that matters to a lot of people. I think that's partly, though, because they're being told that that's what they're supposed to value. You know, if you're rational, you know, if you're rational, you know, if you're rational, if you're rational, you know, if you're rational. A lot of times when we make our decisions, we don't have complete knowledge of the situation. And we may not have even the ability to process all the variables of that bounded rationality. And since we are constrained by uncertainty, our preferences frequently change. Sometimes in response to what other people think, which is what I was talking about as far as the uh, Rolls Royce prices. People wanted them to stay up. Adam Smith, the the renowned American economist has said that we are the most cooperative species on earth. And we've learned to put us before me. Some of the emotions we have when we violate that us before me is guilt, shame, outrage. I guess when we see others doing it, empathy.
empathy, sympathy, dread, 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 disgust. We reject offers in the ultimate game because we feel they are unfair. But I know that's not true for everybody. And so it's clear that people are not always rational. And it's probably a good thing because if they were simply obsessed with their own personal utility, they'd probably be jerks. There's a social psychologist named Paul Piff. He's from the UC Berkeley. And he did a study with people ranging with incomes ranging from $16,000 a year to $150,000. And he found that the wealthiest were more likely to cheat in order to win a $50 prize. They would take candy from children and they would pocket extra change that was given to them by mistake. They also observed vehicles and they found that the more expensive cars were less likely to respect other drivers and pedestrians. And it seems like they're just isolated from the rest of us to a degree where they don't even perceive the impact of their actions. The positive thing in his TED talk that he gave was, was that, that it only took watching a 46 second video on childhood poverty to get the wealthy people to act as generous as the other members in the study. Once a homo economicus doesn't mean always a homo economicus. Richard Taylor describes himself as a behavioral economist. And it's a much more reasonable and realistic way of looking at humans as economic members of a society. There's this hope that the idea of homo economicus guiding economic models will soon be a thing of the past. There's an old saying, science progresses one funeral at a time. So Thaler had said that he hopes that someday there won't be a field of behavioral economics. It'll simply be economics when we finally put the old homo economicus to rest for good. Let us some very immoral directions. So goodbye, homo economicus, and good riddance. Rationally. Rationally.